chapter 8, please. Amos chapter 8. Start reading verse 7 of Amos chapter 8. The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this, and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? Shall rise up wholly as a flood, and shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I'll darken the earth in the clear day. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as a morning of an only sun, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Well, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall their fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. Let us swear by the sin of Samaria, and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Bathsheba liveth, even they shall fall, never rise up again. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for your word. We thank you for the privilege we have as joined together around your word. Lord, give us understanding tonight of the truths of your word and may we make application where application is necessary to our lives. May we, Father, learn from your word that which you would have us to understand we might glean the truths, Father God, that you have laid out before us. Give me wisdom, I pray, and Lord, enable me tonight to be able to walk through this passage clearly. We may gain the understanding you want us to gain from it. Father, it might encourage us and challenge us. We might leave this place singing your praise. We know that we'll be in your presence. Lord, use me, I pray, to your glory. Hide me, Father God, I pray, behind the cross of Calvary. And may we see no man save Jesus only, didn't he? And be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week that God often used common objects to teach important spiritual truths. Objects like pottery or seed or yeast. And in this text, in Amos chapter 8, he uses a basket of summer fruit back at the beginning there in verse 1 that the Lord God showed unto me and behold a basket of summer fruit he said just as this fruit in this basket was ripe for the eating in fact was becoming the place where it was overripe it was going to become rotten within the bowl the nation of Israel was ripe for judgment and the Lord says in verse 2 the end is coming and he said Amos what seest thou and I said a basket of summer fruit then said the Lord unto me, The end is coming upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. The end is coming. And we know that in this chapter, we can see similarities between Israel's 
situation and the world today. Because in our world today, judgment is coming. And it will be a bitter harvest for the unsaved. We then posed two questions. The first question was, why the end is coming? In Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, we saw last week. And secondly, how the end is coming. Or the reason why the end is coming. In Amos chapter 8, verses 7 to 14, which we'll consider this evening. The, the how the end is coming. Notice with me, first of all, then tonight, the certainty of the judgment in verse 7. The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never get any of their works. The Lord starts this section, this section of 8 to 14, with this statement, this clear statement, stating plainly about the judgment. He says, surely I will never, I'll never forget their works. He will never forget their sin. He'll never forget their disobedience. God says they've come to the end of their tether. They've come to the end of my patience. And now I'm about to judge and I cannot forget, I cannot overlook their wickedness and their sin. And this reminds us that time can never erase sin. We may feel that if we or if others forget our sins, the sins of our youth, then God must forget about them also. But that's not the case. Only the atoning, the atoning work of Jesus Christ can take care of our sin. Time will never take care of our sin. If you and I could live a thousand years, that still would not be long enough for you and I to take care of our sin. Sin can only be dealt with by the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. Time cannot erase sin. And that was the problem with Israel. It wouldn't have mattered how long God went on. God could not overlook their sin. God could not forget their sin. Their sin was ever present before him, and there was no repentance. There was no turning to him in their lives. Therefore, God could not forget their iniquity. There is a contrast then the word of God between Amos chapter 8 and verse 7 and Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 because it's an interesting contrast uh, Verses used, just in case you think it's an Old Testament principle. There is a New Testament truth here, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your works and labor of love, which you've showed towards his name, in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister, he says. And then he goes on. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope to the end. To be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience and their promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he was there by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men... Verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation to them that an end of strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto us heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two impossible, immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have the strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. 
which hope we have and anchor the soul by sure and steadfast, which endured, entered into the, within the veil, whether the forerunners for us, uh, for, is for us entered in, entered, sorry, even as made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Read the whole context. Verse 10 is the verse in particular. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you showed towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and to minister. God does not forget our works. He doesn't forget our labor of love that we show in his name. And Amos goes on to say that he does not forget the evil works. This same God who cannot forget what we do in his name is the same God who does not forget that which is done not in his name. And that's the point of Amos chapter 8. And verse 7, I will never forget thy works. Just as God doesn't forget what we do in his name, God cannot forget the sins committed before a person say those sins are, are, are condemning that soul to hell, a Christ's eternity separated from God. And God cannot overlook, God cannot ignore sin. And those who die without Christ have their sins forgiven. They will not have their sins forgotten. They will not have their sins overlooked. The wage of sin is death. And the death of Christ is the only acceptable substitution for that sin. And we all know this. But that was the problem with Israel. They should have known it. They should have understood it. They should have known the only means by which their sins could be forgiven and forgotten is by returning to God, but they turned their back upon him. First, chapter 2 verse 24 tells us, Who his own self bear our sins, his own body in the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. The only way to escape the judgment to come is by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. There is no deliverance apart from Christ. And Israel found themselves in this situation, the northern kingdom, find themselves now confronting a holy God, and God says, enough's enough. Whatever you do, whatever you your sacrifice you make, whatever uh, worship you make is not sufficient. You have not repented and you've not turned to me and you've not asked for forgiveness. Therefore, I will never forget your works. Time could not erase their sin. There was a certainty about the judgment that was about to come. And then secondly, we see the extent of the judgment in verses 8 through 14. To answer the question, how the end is coming, the prophet reveals the extent of the judgment. And he does that by giving to you and I four pictures to describe the terror of the coming judgment. He's told them the judgment is certain. They can't avoid it. They can't get away from it. They can't run from it. They can't hide from it. Judgment is coming. And now God's going to spell out for them why or the how the end is coming. How is this end coming? This promise of the end is here. The end is coming. Now how is this end going to come to pass? What's it going to look like? God's going to spell out now for the nation of Israel what it's going to look like when God judges them for their unwillingness to turn to him. And he does so with four pictures. The first was the picture of an earthquake, verse 8. Shall the land tremble, shall the land tremble for this? And everyone mourn that dwelleth therein. 
May you rise up holy as a flood and be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. Here he describes for us the land heaving up and down. This earthquake is hitting and the land is going to heave up and down like the rising and falling of a river. And the river in focus here is the river of Egypt, which of course is the river Nile. That's the image here. And the river Nile would rise 25 feet or 7.6 metres during the annual flood season. A bit like our river, when it floods, you know, our river rises up to 8 metres. Well, that's the idea here, that's the, the river Nile does that. The river Nile grows by 7.6 metres in the annual floods that go over the banks of the Nile and fertilise the delta, and that's why it's such a, del uh, such a fertile plain, that Dile, uh, Nile delta is a fertile plain because of the floodwaters that encroach upon the land every year in the annual floods. And here as we read verse 8, uh, as Amos describes for us the judgment upon Israel, God says it's going to be like an earthquake and the land is going to heave as the river. There's going to be the rising and the falling of this judgment when this judgment comes this earthquake comes there's going to this picture of the earthquake it's going to be like an earthquake the nation of israel is going to suffer the consequence of their sin it's going to feel like an earthquake there's going to be the rising and the falling the land would shudder because of the people's sins the picture of the land and the people of israel being shaken by judgment and being so shaken by judgment that they heave and they subside like the rising and receding of the river Nile. When God's judgment falls, nowhere will be safe. There was going to be no place for this people to hide. When the judgment of God fell upon them, they were not going to be able to hide from God's judgment. And that's true of our world. When the rapture happens and the church is taken out and we are with the Lord, this earth cannot escape the judgment of God. They can run from wherever they want to run, but the judgment when it falls will affect all of mankind. The judgment is coming and it's going to be severe and the tribulation period is going to be a terrible, dark time upon the earth and it's going to feel like to them, even though they'll experience genuine earthquakes, during that time, it's going to feel like an earthquake of judgment is hitting them. As God pours out his judgment upon the world, as seen in this picture of God's judgment of Israel. Secondly, we see that God would visit them with darkness in verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. Because of the refuge, uh, because of the reference rather to the celestial catastrophe here of this darkening of the sky, many think Amos is looking forward now to the circumstances surrounding the ultimate judgment of God in the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. Well, commentators have the idea that it's an eclipse that happened during the days of Amos. Now, those some think that Amos is referring only to the eclipse. I think at the very least, in part, Amos here in this prophecy is looking forward to the tribulation. I think in all of this prophecy, you have an imagery of God's judgment upon the nation Israel, but there's also within that, contained within that, is the picture of the judgment to come in the tribulation period. That as God judges a nation because they're not willing to turn to God, God is going to judge the nations. 
because they're not willing to turn to God. As God pours out upon the nation of Israel this, this darkness and this, uh, this, this eclipse during the time of Amos, there is a day coming when God during the tribulation will equally pour out darkness upon the earth. That's prophesied for us in Isaiah 13 and Joel chapter 2. Just prior to the Lord's return, at the end of the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the earth will be covered with darkness in the, bright, in the bright daylight, it says in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. In those days, in the days of tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The judgment will descend upon the world during the tribulation period. And the judgment described here in, in Amos chapter 8 and verse 9 is at least a foretaste of the final judgment to come during the tribulation period. Beloved, you and I need to understand the tribulation is not going to be a pleasant time for those who are left behind on this earth. If Jesus Christ was to come tonight and the tribulation would then follow... The time of seven years of tribulation is not going to be a pretty time, not going to be a pleasant time, not going to be a wonderful time here on earth for those who are left behind. There's going to be this time of darkness. There's going to be earthquake. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be a falling of the thirds of the stars of heaven. There's going to be a third of vegetation destroyed, a third of the sea creatures destroyed, a third of humanity be destroyed. Tribulation is going to be a dark, dark time when God pours out his judgment upon mankind. Now, praise God, we won't be here when that happens. Because you and I will hear the trump, we'll hear the voice of the archangel, we'll hear the shouts. And you and I will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we won't be here. But those who are left behind will go through it. And the only way to escape the future judgment is to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. There is no escape other than Christ. He is the only place of refuge. He is the only one to run to. He is the only place to go to avoid the judgment to come. Beloved, there is an urgency that Jesus could come today. Let our world know of pending judgment to come. The third picture is that of a funeral in verse 10. And I'll turn your feasts in the morning, you know, your songs in the lamentation. I'll bring you up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. And I'll make it as mourning of, the, of, a, of an only son and the end thereof as bitter day. That of mourning, a funeral. Amos tries to capture for us here the depth of the sorrow that is going to happen because of the judgment. The depth of the sorrow is pictured here in this mourning, in this, in this metaphor for mourning the lamentation for the death of a son. And he wants you and I to get an image of what it's going to be like in that day of judgment for Amos the, uh, and the people of Israel, what it's going to be like in the day of judgment for them, which was fast approaching, by the way. 722 BC, the armies of Assyria were going to come down and we're going to take them captive and, dis and uh, destroy them. Many of them are going to die. It's a terrible day coming for them. 
And he wants us to understand the depth of the mourning in this metaphor, spelling out for us. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. All their joyfulness will be gone. All their joyful feasts will be turned into mourning and wailing. Notice all your songs will be lamentation. When the judgment comes, when Assyria comes down and and takes the ten nations of the northern kingdom captive, it will be a time of sorrow, a time of mourning, a time whereby their singing will be turned into lamentation. Instead of being dressed elegantly, going to banquets and concerts, the people would wear sackcloth. He says, I'll bring up sackcloth upon your loins and baldness upon every head and I'll make it a mourning and only son, and the end thereof was a bitter day. They will join in mourning with parents who mourn greatly if an only son died, because if an only son dies, that would mean the end of the family name and the family line. There'd be nobody to carry on the family name, no one to carry on the family line. If the only son is dead, the family name ends right there and the picture here is that God's judgment would mean the end of the nation and not many years hence the ten tribes of Israel the ten northern tribes will be taken by Assyria and they will be taken away and they will never return the two southern tribes who will be taken away by Babylon in in 586 BC, they, uh, 605 to 586 BC, they will return to the land at the time of Nehemiah, the time of uh, uh, the end of Daniel's life in Daniel chapter 10. They will return the southern kingdoms, but the ten northern tribes do not return. The judgment for them will be like the judgment of an only son, the death of an only son, for the nation will cease to exist. Israel will be gone. Judgment is about to fall and there will be no escape. Judgment is coming for our world, beloved, and there will be no escape from that judgment. When mankind finds itself in the midst of the tribulation, there, there is no escape from the judgment. This judgment is about to fall. The wrath of God will fall upon mankind and Christ is the only answer. Beloved, more than ever, the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We are living in dark times. Our world is a dark place. Our nation is getting darker spiritually by the day. I'm I'm amazed, I don't know with you, I'm amazed when you listen to the news about how dark we're getting, how much we're turning away from the principles and the precepts of God's word to the principal precepts of humanity and humanism and, and, and everything else you can imagine to all other forms of religion. It's amazing what people are accepting as acceptable. Well, years ago they rejected it. We're living in a dark society. We were just talking today about the fact, you know, that report on the ABC, who claimed, that Muslim reporter lady who claimed that Islam was the most feminist religion of the world. How could she believe that? And yet, 
media accepts it as being acceptable, as being normal. It's okay. We're living in dark times and our world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ more than ever. Souls need the Savior, beloved. And as Jesus Christ's return gets closer, you and I need to become more active, more bold, more passionate for the things of Christ. We need to stand up for the Lord because souls need to be saved for the day that you and I are raptured. It'll be too late. Judgment will fall. And lamentation will come as it has upon Israel. Finally, the judgment will be like a famine Verses 11 to 14. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God. And I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of the hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it in that day. Shall their fair virgins and young men faint for thirst? There's a famine coming. Not only a literal food famine, but a spiritual famine. A famine of spiritual nourishment. There will be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You know, most people think the worst kind of famine is a famine of bread. When people have nothing to eat, when people have nothing to drink, then people think that kind of famine is the worst kind of famine. And while it is pretty bad and it's pretty awful and people are starving and having water, Amos reminds us that there's a worse kind of famine. And it's a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Now listen to me carefully the nature of the famine. It's not a lack of God's word that's mentioned here, but it's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Look in verse 11 again. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord God, and I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. G. Campbell Morgan said this, the condition described is that of being deaf to the words of Jehovah, not able to hear them. It's not a case of God withholding his revelation, but of people being in such a state that they do not see it, nor do they hear the words. That's what's going on. It's not that God's withholding his revelation. It's not that people can't read the word of God. not that people can't hear the word of God. It's they don't want to hear it. Now, it's true that there are many, there may come times when there is a famine of God's word, either through neglect or unfaithfulness, where the word of God is not revealed, where the word of God is not preached, but that's not what Amos has in mind here. The problem here is a problem with the hearer, preacher. Now, that's a very real problem today. People don't want to hear the word of the Lord. The problem is not that the Bible is not available. In fact, the Bible is more available today than it's ever been available to mankind. 
People, can, people own more than one Bible. Many people have, even unsaved people, have Bibles on their bookshelves. At the very least, they might have a family Bible that's been passed down from generation to generation. The accessibility to the Word of God today is so universal that the Word of God is out there for all to see. And if they can't get their hands on a physical copy of the Word of God, all they're going to do is pick up their phone and Google it, and they can find the Word of God. There's not a famine today of the Word of God. The Word of God is available for all to see and all to read. The problem is people don't want to hear it. People don't want to listen to the Word of God. People don't want to take, take heed to the Word of God, and that's why the world's in the mess it's in. There is no absolutes anymore. The Word of God is the absolute, the absolute authority on all things, and the absolute has been set aside, and now we live in a world which is subjective. And so our laws are all subjective. Our courts are based upon subjective decision-making. There is no absolutes because the moment you throw out the word of God, you don't have an absolute. What you have is simply human uh, uh, knowledge and simply our will and simply our feelings and what we end up with is subjectiveness. And so somebody can commit murder, but there's mitigating circumstances, so therefore they don't get the maximum penalty they get time off because of mitigating circumstances. The word of God is there. People just don't want to listen to it. And while it's true in many places, the problem may be the preacher, and there's no doubt about that in our world in which we live today. There are places whereby in pulpits today around this country where men have got up and women have got up and not preached the word. There's been a dearth of the word of God. And the sign of the times is that there is a very real problem, but the sign of the times is this, there's a very real problem with the hearer. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1 says, I charge thee therefore before God the Lord Jesus Christ, who is shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust will, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they, shall turn everyone as, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. You know, there's a very real problem with the hearer today. They have itching ears. They've turned their ears away from the truth. They've turned their ears to faith. And what's more, the problem is even found in churches, amongst Christians, so-called Christians, believers. Itching ears who've turned their ears away from the truth and turned towards fables. There is an unwillingness in many places today to hear the word of God, to hear sound doctrine. Now, the reason why is because to listen to the doctrines of the word of God takes effort. It takes work to hear sound preaching. And there's an unwillingness to listen to the word of God and to the preaching of the word of God because it takes endurance. Notice what it says in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who would endure the head carries the idea of effort. It is an effort to listen to sound doctrine. I mean, 
is it, it's true. You know, we're, I'm the same. Sit down there. Kelly gets up to preach. Okay? It takes hard work to concentrate and listen. Go home, put the, uh, you know, put the TV on. It's a lot easier to be entertained than it is to listen to the preach of the Word of God. You look out some Sundays, you know, and people are struggling to keep the eyes open, you know. I am the best uh, uh, sleeping tablet to give to some people, you know. Just start opening my mouth and whoo, off to sleep they go. Because it takes effort. It's, it's hard work. And look, I know what it's like. I sit there some weeks and find it's a struggle to, to listen, to take it in. It's, it takes endurance. It takes effort to sit through the preaching of the word. It's much easier to sit through cute stories. You know, if I got up here and told you a story, I'd have you encapsulated. Encapsulated. Not even a good word. I'd, <laughs> I'd, have, you, I'd have you right there. You'd be listening, you'd be captivated. That was the word I was looking for. You'd be captivated by the story and you'd want to hear the end. Try with children, you know, tell the children a story and they'll listen to it. Get to the biblical application and all of a sudden they start fidgeting. They start moving around. They don't want to listen. Tell a story and people want to listen. Entertain people and they will listen. Get a singing group up here and we'll listen to it and, and be entertained by it. We'll sit through that. But then the preaching of the word is difficult to sit through. It takes insurance. So what we're told today is that the church, especially in its youth ministries, should simply emphasize fun. That's what you need is fun. Because the preaching of the word is boring and it's tedious and it's hard and you won't reach them with, a, with the word of God. You've got to get out there and give them fun. It's interesting, you know, the word fun is never mentioned in the Bible. Not even in the Greek or the Hebrew. The word fun is never mentioned. And the word entertainment is only used about being hospitable such activities like reveling and playing receive nothing except the nation in the word of God except for little children who play and yet there's a growing emphasis today in many churches on providing entertainment providing fun time especially for teenagers and young adults that what we need is fun we need entertainment. You will reach them if you entertain them. You only reach them if you have fun with them. You won't reach them through the word of God. You won't reach them through the preaching of God's word. You need fun. You need entertainment. It's the way you reach them and keep them for the Lord, so they say. But it's interesting, you know, that neither the Lord, nor the apostles, nor the prophets ever told you and I to reach and keep the saints with entertainment? Show me a verse where it says, entertain them. Have fun with them. Reach them with fun. Reach them with entertainment. Find a verse. It doesn't exist. Not the Lord. Not the apostles, not the prophets, not one of them ever told you and I that the way that we build God's church is through fun. 
that we build God's church through entertainment. It's not mentioned that we build youth ministries through fun and entertainment. We build kids clubs through fun and entertainment. We build Sunday schools through fun and entertainment. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Word of God. So we might ask a question, well, is this a program kept and reserved by the Lord just for the young people of the 21st century? It's not mentioned the word of God because it was not needed until the 21st century because now the youth of the 21st century are different than everybody else. So God's program for the 21st century is different than it's been for the last 2,000 years. Now what we need is fun and entertainment. Well, no. What we're told in God's Word is that God's Word was given to us for a reason. Go back to first, 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know these verses well, but this is the context of chapter 4. And the, the chapter division here is a little bit inappropriate in the sense that it flows on. If you go back to verse 14, where Paul is talking to Timothy, he says this to Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And these Holy Scriptures that you know, Timothy, they have made you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, Timothy, the Scriptures are the means by which you get saved. Now, verse 16, all Scriptures given by inspiration of God are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who should judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy, this is what you're to do. Preach the word. Amazing, isn't it? Doesn't say have fun. Timothy, the word of God is the means by which you got saved. Timothy, the word of God is the means by which you are matured, you're perfected, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Therefore, Timothy, as you look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, what you're to do, Timothy, until Jesus comes, is preach the word. Be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why? Because there's a time coming, Timothy, where men will have itching ears, and they'll not be able to endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers. And they'll turn away from the truth to fables. Timothy, you got to preach the word. We are also instructed that God established the church and gave pastors teachers of the church for the same reason. In Ephesians chapter 4, you know the verse well, but Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 8 and following. Ephesians chapter 4. It says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high and led captive, captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But he also descended first the low parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith under the knowledge of the Son of God and a perfect man under the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
So Timothy preached the word. Why? Because God gave pastors, teachers under the church to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. How are you going to perfect the saints? Well, you the saints by preaching the word. Why? How do you know that? Because 2 Timothy 3.18 tells us, 3.17 tells us, that you preach the word because that's the means by which you perfect the saints. And you quit them. You make them thoroughly furnished in all good works. Timothy, the God gave to the church, pastor teachers. Those pastor teachers are perfect the saints. You perfect the saints by the preaching of the word. Therefore, Timothy, preach the word. God did not give his word and establish the church to entertain us, but to perfect us, to mature us. And the only way to do that is through the preaching of the word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 describes the right way to hear the word of God. It says, for this cause also... Thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received in us the word of men, but as it is the truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We receive the word of God as it is of a truth, the word of God. B. Meyer said this, we may question ourselves whether we feed enough on God's word. If we would grow strong, we must feed, not on the condiments and the sweetmeats, not on the tidbits and scraps, not on the vessels and pious sentences, but on the strong meat of the word, on the doctrines, histories, types of scripture. Oh, for more hunger and thirst for these. Since as Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, you and I should thunder, hunger and thirst after his word. In times of crisis, people turn to the Lord for some word of guidance or encouragement. And you and I ought to be the source by which they can turn. You and I would be ready always to give an answer to every man, a reason the hope that is in us with meekness and fear, because you and I are enduring sound doctrine. I hope the day never comes where this church decides that the emphasis ought to be on fun and entertainment and not upon the word of God. I trust that it will stay true to the word of God till Jesus comes. As I said, you know, there are times in people's lives where they would seek the word of God for guidance and encouragement. But here in Amos chapter seven, uh, chapter 8, Israel is going to find that no word is going to come. There's going to be a famine of the hearing of the word. It's going to be a true famine. A famine of hearing God's word, which is ultimately worse than a famine of bread. As verse 12 says, And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. When Israel is oppressed by the Assyrian army, and they're, they're suffering, they're looking at the face of defeat, before them and they're about to ready to go into captivity they're going to run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and they're not going to find any because they rejected that very word when we push away God's word for a long time we may find ourselves in a place where we shall not find it even if we want to 
somebody said, we remember that the ability to hear God's word and benefit by it is a gift from God, if not to be despised. When we seek God, it generally becomes easier to find him. When we push God away, it generally becomes more difficult to hear and receive his word. And so in verse 13 we read, In that day shall fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. They're not going to be able to find the answer. They're going to look for answers from God and God's going to be silent. The word of God's not going to be there. The judgment is going to fall. There's going to be a famine of the word of God. And this world today might not like the fact that you and I as believers are here. But you know, while ever we're here, the Holy Spirit is holding back the judgment of God and holding back the forces of evil. The day is coming where you and I will be raptured out of here, and God is going to unleash his judgment, and the devil is going to be unleashed, and the world is going to suffer the consequences, and people are going to cry out, and they're not going to find answers. Because they did not seek God while they had time. And God is going to punish Israel so much that the idols of Israel will face judgment, and that judgment will be lasting judgment. In verse 14 it says, They that swear by the sin of Samaria, and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Bathsheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. What a tragedy to have plenty of religion, but no word from the Lord. Let me light in the darkness no nourishment for the soul, no direction for making decisions, no protection from the lies of the enemy. The people would stagger like drunks from place to place, always hoping to find food and drink for their bodies and spiritual sustenance for their soul, but they're not going to find any. And the tribulation to a great part, that's when the churches whereby the faithful preacher of the word of God has been are going to be closed or taken over by those who are teaching something other than the truth. There's going to be no uh, grand preaching of the word of God, no grand-scale evangelism going on, except from the 144,000 witnesses that God's going to give because God's a gracious God. But this world is going to be different. It's going to be changed completely when the church is raptured, the witness is gone, the light is taken out. And people are going to go to and fro looking for answers and not be able to find them. That's true today. People want answers and are looking for answers in the wrong place. They're not looking for it in the Word of God. They're not looking for it where it can be found. They're not drinking at the waters of the Word of God. They're looking for the answers in barrenness. And while we have breath and while we have time, we need to take to them the living water of the word and show them that Christ is the answer. The sin of Samaria in verse 14 is speaking about the fact of the golden calf that was Bethel. By the God of Dan liveth, O oh, Dan liveth, there was a golden calf in Dan also. Two gods, one in Bethlehem, one in Dan. 
And the way of Bathsheba that's mentioned here, the manner of Bathsheba, the way of Bathsheba liveth, is speaking of worship, idolatry. And instead of the worship to describe the pilgrimage people would make to Bathsheba thinking that they would get them favor. The idea here is that there's a place in Bethel whereby they worship a golden calf. There's a place in Dan where they worship a golden calf. And people are going on spiritual pilgrimages to Bathsheba, but they're not seeking God. They sought idols, but not the word of God. And so God says, even they shall fall and never rise up again. These idols are going to fall and never be risen again. The nation of Israel was going to be taken into captivity. Some years later, the nation of Judah is also going to be taken into captivity. And through that punishment, God is going to ensure that Israel never again worships idols. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken away. And when the nation returns from Babylon, idol worship is a thing they do not do. It's got to teach them a lesson. They shall fall and never rise again. They wouldn't hearken to the preaching of the gospel concerning Messiah. They sought idols but not God. And that's the state of our world today. And sadly, that's the state in many churches today. And as we look at the church and the condition of the world, you and I must conclude that judgment is coming, fast coming, and the world is not ready, and the church is increasingly distracted from the doctrines of the Word of God by other things, by entertainment and fun. And they're having fun and they're being entertained while the world is dying. We need to ensure that we remain faithful till Jesus comes. Because unless we do, the light of the gospel will not shine brightly in this dark world. We need to follow Amos' example. We need to take a stand for Jesus Christ that people might know that he loves them and died for them. The end is coming, beloved. Let's be faithful till Jesus comes. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for the challenge from the book of Amos. Lord, help us to heed its challenge. Will we be like Amos? Will we boldly stand? Even if we have to stand alone, may we boldly stand for truth and righteousness and the word of God. That we might be light shining in a dark place. That souls might be saved. And lives might be changed. Blessed we close now with a hymn we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn to hymn number.